Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. All right, good morning. Happy Sunday. How is everyone this morning? That good, huh? Great. Well, uh, my name is Emily, and I'm on the preaching team here at the Vineyard. And I just want us all to take a moment to appreciate the air conditioning in this building. Okay, so I was talking to my son yesterday. He's seven, and he said, Mom, what does the word demeaning mean? And I was like, uh, um, okay, so it means like if somebody makes you feel bad about yourself or if, uh, you know, something just makes you feel less than the beautiful human creation you are. Does that make sense? And he was like, yeah. He goes, this heat is really demeaning me. <laughs> and I thought, you got it. He knows the definition now. So uh, it's the end of summer. The heat is demeaning us, uh, and we are at the very last Sunday of our summer in the Psalms. Can we give a little aw? I think we should do a fall in the Psalms, and a winter in the Psalms, and a spring in the Psalms. It's been so good. Um, but, didn't didn't, somebody got a text. Um, but today, sorry, I just phones distract me. Today we're going to be ending on a really high note, because we are going to be talking about the Messianic Psalms. So that's a, that's a fun church word, and you're going to hear a familiar word in that, and it's the word Messiah. So these are the Psalms that point us to Jesus, and these are Psalms that point us to the way he came to us as a human, the way he suffered on our behalf, and ultimately the Psalm that we're going to look at today, the way that he reigns victoriously as king. You think that'll be okay? I think it'll be okay. So uh, here's how I can say, without beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there are definitely psalms that point us to the Messiah. Because Jesus said they did. Go ahead and pull up Luke 24. <laughs> Luke 24, this is the, the upper room narrative. So uh, his disciples and friends are in the upper room and they're all trying to figure out like what's going on. And Jesus has already been resurrected and he's appeared to a few people and he walks through a wall. Okay. Uh, just goes through a wall and he appears to them. And do we have the, do we have it? It's on the slideshow. Okay. Let me look it up then. Luke 24, and he says in verse 44, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the, there it is, perfect timing, must be fulfilled. So that is how we know there are definitely Psalms that point to Jesus as the Messiah. And I just want us to remember that Jesus was born and raised and lived in a particular community 
and in a particular culture. And it was uh, something about this culture was that they were very much looking forward and looking for a person to come, right? A Messiah to save them, to restore them to power and to uh, put things right. So that's the context in which Jesus lived and worked. Uh, one of my very favorite theologians is a, a guy named Walter Brueggemann. Anybody familiar with Walter? I know Pierre. Woohoo, he's awesome. Uh, here's what he says about all this. Go to the next slide. Uh, the Christ accent that we hear in the Psalms is not an abstract imposition. And by that, he means you're not just imagining things. Okay? Uh, rather, it is integral to our practice of faith. So as a result, we do well to ask of every psalm, how does this psalm sound when we listen to it from the lips of Jesus? Oh, I love that. And it actually takes some imagination. It takes some cultivating imagination while you're reading your Bible to be able to do this. So let's do that together. This morning, we're going to read Psalm 72. That will be our text for the day. Buckle up, it's 20 verses. So here we go. Give your love of justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. Help him judge your people in the right way. Let the poor always be treated fairly. May the mountains yield prosperity for all, and may the hills be fruitful. Help him to defend the poor, to rescue the children of the needy, and to crush their oppressors. May they fear you as long as the sun shines, as long as the moon remains in the sky. Yes, forever. May the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on freshly cut grass, like the showers that water the earth. May all the godly flourish during his reign. May there be abundant prosperity until the moon is no more, which is to say forever. May he reign from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Desert nomads will bow before him and his enemies will fall before him in the dust. The western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. Who visited Jesus as a baby? Desert nomads, wise men. The eastern kings of Sheba and I'm going to say Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. He will rescue the poor when they cry to him. He will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He feels pity for the weak and the needy. He will rescue them. He will redeem them from oppression and violence. Why? For their lives are precious to him. Long live the king. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May the people always pray for him and bless him all day long. May there be abundant grain throughout the land, flourishing even on the hilltops. May the fruit trees flourish like the trees of Lebanon. Lebanon. <laughs> and may the people thrive like grass in a field. I had to do that. <laughs> Uh, second service won't laugh as hard at that. I'm just telling you. They won't. They won't. 
17. Come on, come on. Okay. Uh, May the king's name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun shines. May all nations be, are you guys sensing a theme here? Yeah. May all nations be blessed through him and bring him praise. Praise the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does such wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This ends the prayers of David, son of Jesse. That's a lot there, huh? There is a lot there. Uh, So here's where I want to start. I want to start by pointing out that this psalm is a perfect example of how the Bible can be both uh, historical narrative and uh, deeply impactful in like a multidimensional way for our lives today. So this psalm uh, was, is considered a coronation song. Uh, the Bible says it was of Solomon. Okay, do you guys remember Solomon? Uh, and it was also a prayer for guidance and support for the king. But uh, I also see this as a way in which the Bible guides and directs us today. Uh, So my first question is, how many of you grew up learning about Solomon? Raise your hands. P-Ray, you didn't? Okay. I did. I I very much remember uh, Sunday school stories about Solomon. Here's what we learned. Solomon asked God for wisdom, right? And God was very pleased by this and gave him wisdom. And then An example of how Solomon was wise is two ladies were having a disagreement over whose baby was who. And what did Solomon say? Cut the baby in half, which I've always found odd. But as a kid, I was like, what? (laughs) This is wisdom? Uh, Cut the baby in half. And that's how he determined whose baby it really was. Uh, Solomon was also super rich right? He had all the things. He had all the horses and the armies and the weapons, and he built tons of buildings. He built the temple for Yahweh. Like, that's very, very important. Um, But here's what they don't teach in Sunday school very much. Um, Solomon was fairly complicated at best. So uh, when somebody became king, of the nation of Israel. It wasn't just like, you are king now. Uh, There were expectations that God had of this person. Things like, um, you shouldn't acquire a lot of wealth for yourself. This is in Deuteronomy. Uh, You shouldn't amass for yourself many horses. They were real big on horses. Okay. Uh, You shouldn't never, ever, ever should you take your people back the way of Egypt. Right, because that's what they came out of. Uh, and you also shouldn't have a lot of wives. You should just have one wife. So Solomon, uh, when we read about him in 1 Kings, you know how many horses he had? 12,000. Can you imagine? That either has to be like, is that right? Okay, maybe over the course of his life he had 12,000. I've been really stuck on that this week. 12,000 horses. Uh And I read one commentary that said a lot of his horses, you know where they probably came from? Egypt. Yeah. Uh, His wealth was so great that silver was just considered no big deal. Okay. Uh, And not only did he have many wives, guess whose daughter he married? Pharaoh's. Mm -hmm. Not only that... You know all his magnificent buildings that he built, including the temple? 
He used slave labor. Complicated at best. In fact, who's resembling Pharaoh now? Solomon, yeah. So, while the people may have been singing this song uh, in support for guidance and praise of the king, how many of you realize as his reign went on, they could have also been thinking, well, that's not what this looks like, right? That's not what this looks like at all. Uh, and I just want to know how many of us have also found ourselves in a similar type of contrast in our lives. Uh, I'm going to give you a really silly example from my week, and then I'm going to give you a more serious example from my week. You ready? Uh, oh, first I need a drink. One moment. I've had exclusively coffee today, so. Um, <clears throat> so in May, I was ready for summer with my kids. I had the three Ps. I had play dates, popsicles, and plans, okay? We were going to go do the things. We were going to hang out with friends. It was going to be amazing. This is the way that it was going to go. And earlier this week, I found myself in the most absurd 20 minutes of my whole probably year so far. So one child had fallen and there was just so much blood. There was so much blood. And then another child, my littlest one, we're potty training him and he decided in that bloody moment, I'm gonna try to go by myself. Uh, and then another child started doing an activity that very much needed supervision. <laughs> um, but I couldn't because I was trying to scrub blood out of the grout in my bathroom before it like set in. And I found myself thinking, wow, what a moment of contrast compared to my popsicles, plans, and playdates that I had for this summer. Has anybody been there? Okay. In a really silly way. Uh, on Friday, um, I found myself sitting for just like a routine checkup in my oncology office. And just looking around, it's like, this is not where I ever thought I would be. Nobody wants to find themselves in an oncology office waiting room. You just don't. I thought this was not the way things were going to go. So we can take these little examples from our lives, but we can also extrapolate them out to like institutional levels of like, this is not how a government should function. Or in the instance of this psalm, this is not how a monarchy sh should be. It should be the king caring for the poor, right? It should be creation flourishing, yet here we are. Something has gone awry, right? So uh, we're going to actually look in these some areas of this like contrast this morning to see where we can find some good news. I have an outline. I like our little outline format. So we're going to talk about what's in a king, we're going to talk about springtime in Kentucky, because that's the best time in Kentucky. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about flourishing, which is something the Lord has been talking to me a lot about this summer. So uh, right at the beginning, uh, one of the first things that jumps out to me in Psalm 72 is the expectation of the king to care for the poor. Did you guys see that? It's in 20% of this whole psalm. Uh, to defend the poor, the weak, and the oppressed, because there is no one else to do it. Uh, and what I really picked up on was that this was not just part of the king's job description. 
How many of you have ever done something at a job and you didn't really care? It was just part of the job description. Uh, my example of that, the worst one, is I worked... This will come as a surprise to nobody. In college, I worked at the library. And um, my whole job was to take this, like, really old collection of books and put, like, hidden magnetic strips into the spine so that students couldn't, like, walk out with the book. I could have cared less if they walked out with a book. But that was my job. I didn't care. Uh, And I'm sure you all are probably thinking of something in your job right now where you're like, yeah, I don't. Um, But that's not how the king approached this, right? Um, Actually, what Psalm 72 says is that the lives of the poor and the oppressed were actually precious to the king. That is how much he cared, and that is actually what moved him to action. Uh, In the the NRSV, verse 7 says, May peace abound until the moon is no more. And, and I have to wonder how stark the contrast became once Solomon instituted, like, forced labor to start building things uh, instead of freeing people from oppression. He in, instead became the oppressor. Uh, this was not a peaceful time. People were not cared for. Things were not how they should have been. Uh, Reality was standing in stark contrast to what the king should have been like. So how was Jesus different? Obviously he was. How was Jesus different? Well, who did he spend most of his time with? Not kings. Not powerful people. And when he healed people, he didn't just do it because it was part of his job. He wasn't just putting a magnetic strip on people, right? Uh, He did it because the Bible tells us he was moved by compassion. As if people's lives were what? Precious. Precious to him. Uh, And then after he healed people, he always told them, go in peace. It's like he knew that they hadn't really experienced real peace until they had encountered him. Now, maybe you can't relate to this. Maybe you're sitting here and you think, well, I've never been poor or needy, right? (laughs) Uh, Maybe you've got $50 million sitting in the bank. And if that's you, we need a new building. (laughs) And Adam's right back there. So this is your altar call. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, So... Maybe, though, the reason I include this in here is because I, I really thought this week, I, I, don't, I don't really classify myself as, like, being poor and needy or oppressed. Uh, but if we look at, like, the entire arch of the biblical story, you can have $50 million in the bank and have had nothing gone wrong in your entire life, and you are still poor and needy when it comes to your ability to live in peace apart from Jesus. So it's all of us. Nobody is exempt. And I just think it's such good news for us today that the king who is reigning on high is moved uh, by compassion. And our lives are precious to him. And encounters with him leave us with peace. Okay, next. 
I was going to name this section, this is terrible, any dummy can tell that a flower is beautiful. But then Dusty was like, maybe don't. So <laughs> I changed it. Uh, okay. In the Old Testament, the glory of God, or we could say the presence of God, was tied to like a physical location. Uh, Even when the nation of Israel was out like wandering around uh, in the desert, they built uh, the tabernacle and they put the ark in there. And then eventually we get to Solomon who built a temple, so essentially a home for Yahweh among the people of Israel. And the intent was that other nations would see Israel flourishing and want what they had, not in a like, well, you can't have it kind of way, not like that at all, but in an invitational way. It was always God's intent to bless the whole world through these people. Uh, However, as is the way of empires, if you control access to God, you stay in power. And that is what we see starting to happen with Solomon. So what change does Jesus usher in? Uh, And I think it's not just that the poor and needy are taken care of, although obviously it is that, for sure. Uh, It's also that the presence of God is no longer contained to one specific place or group, uh, but actually it belongs to the entirety of creation. I can't control nature, can you? No. Uh, Notice how much nature imagery is used in this psalm. I wrote it out so that we don't have to flip through. Um, The mountains yield prosperity. The hills are fruitful. Uh, The sun and the moon, they exist forever, and that's how long the king is going to reign. Abundant prosperity until the moon is no more, raining from sea to sea, trees flourishing, people thriving. Do you get the, the, the rhythm here? The entirety of creation is brought in to this messianic psalm. And I think this is not a psalm of winter. And this is not a psalm of fall. This is a psalm of like that very first spring, almost summer day when Kentucky is just perfect. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, It's not crazy hot yet, like it is now. Uh, It has rained the perfect amount so that my front yard is not a pond, but also, you know, things are thriving. Uh, All of your neighbors' flowers are blooming, and the trees haven't quite uh, gotten their leaves yet, but the flowers are still there, and it's just the most perfect time here in Kentucky. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, God's original intent in Genesis 1 is that creation would be full of his presence and his glory. And we see in Genesis 3, creation fall under our curse. So it's the coming of Jesus the Messiah that announces we have access to God because God has become like us. And his power didn't decide to allow only a few people into his presence, but everything, everyone, everywhere. So if we need a reminder of how easy it is actually to encounter God's presence, let me ask you this. Can you see a flower and appreciate, oh yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. Can you go on a walk 
at 4 p.m. on a 100-degree day like I did this week and feel a cool breeze and think, oh, thank goodness, and appreciate it as a gift. Uh, if you can do those things, let me, let me just say this right now. You can, and it's really easy, and it costs you nothing. You have encountered God in his sanctuary. All right, trucking right along, flourishing. I really got hung up on verse seven this week where it says, may the godly flourish during his reign. I don't know why that word has really been on my mind a lot this summer, um, but it has. And then I read it this week and I was like, oh, okay. The Lord is talking. I have to listen. Uh, and I actually think this verse, verse 7, uh, is the heart of Psalm 72. And I also think it's the heart of what it means when we say Jesus is the Messiah. We don't just coexist alongside the work of God. We don't just stand and say, oh, God is helping the poor. God is restoring the earth. We are actually invited to participate in it. We pray this together every Sunday morning. We just did. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is where? In heaven. Uh, who carries out the will of the king on earth? We do. We do. Uh, I really love the idea of God just snapping his fingers and then everything instantly becoming better. That would be so cool, right? Better. But that is not how this thing works. Uh, just as humanity was given work to do in Genesis 1, uh, filling and subduing the earth alongside God, we are also called to action now. Uh, Jesus didn't just come to save us from hell. If you hear anything this morning, hear that. Uh, he saved us back into his work of filling the whole earth with his glory and with his presence. And I think this is the good news of Psalm 72 today because that is what flourishing means for us is not just coexisting alongside the work God is doing, but jumping in and participating in it with him. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>